0: All right, you're enduring to the end, that's good. I think you can see uh, in the different sessions, uh, when I first started with the progression as you're counseling, discipling uh, individuals intensively, uh, gathering that information, giving hope, what's going on with them, um, root, I mean fruit and root. Then you're. Uh, I touched on the gospel, making sure, are they in Christ as best as you can, asking them uh, who Jesus is, what the gospel is, uh, what their life has been like since they've trusted in Christ. So the gospel is the foundation. Then heart worship, uh, out of the heart flow the issues of life. We've got to um, center in on that. That's the root. And then we're looking at uh, the area of the change process. We're going to look at that now, the change process, and then one particular aspect of it, how do I renew my mind? Um, and you'll, you hear people say, I can't stop the thoughts. They're just circling around constantly. And what do you do with that um, and helping them practically? So two passages I want us to just think through in this process of growing and changing, the session four uh, if you turn to 2 Corinthians 3, if you've ever had Dr. MacArthur sign your Bible, you'll probably put this verse down there, the reference, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And if you look up there at that uh, first uh, sentence, there it says, "Our being transformed into the same image." That's passive; uh, it's God's doing it to you. He's transforming you from one degree of glory to another, and it's upward. It's, it's a trajectory that's going upward to be more like Jesus as you behold him. But it's, it sounds passive. It's a passive verb. You're being transformed. Well, you're saying, well, Stuart, you said we actively work with the Spirit, uh, not just let go and let God. So you go to Second Peter 3.18. And the Spirit didn't contradict himself here. 2 Peter 3.18 Now remember, this isn't Peter saying this. This is the Spirit of God saying this through Peter's pen. Just making sure when we using Scripture, it's not Paul said this and Peter said this. God says this through Paul's pen or through Peter's pen. Um, it carries the authority of God here. So God says through Peter, verse 18, but, but grow, now this is active, you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, amen. You know, is it passive? Is it active? Is God changing me? Or am I working at this? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Uh, He is at work in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. There is no let go, let God. You have to actively participate in the spiritual disciplines of reading and meditating on Scripture, hearing the, the public preaching of the Word and public teaching of the Word, as well as the private ministry of the Word. But always when you hear it, you should be saying, and so how do I implement this? what am i to do with this not just know something and then prayer and then the fellowship with god's people these are all spiritual disciplines and another little book i like by mike riccardi on sanctification is he says how we grow in the uh, in more christ likeness is when we practice the spiritual disciplines bible reading meditation prayer fellowship of god's people is we're always focused on Jesus when we do the disciplines. I'm reading the written word to get to know the living word. I don't just read the Bible to read the Bible. The discipline of reading scripture and meditating on it is to be more like Jesus, to know Jesus and to be like him. When I'm praying, I'm praying through the high priest of, who's Christ, To the Father, when I'm fellowshipping, I'm wanting you to be more like Jesus, and you should be wanting me to be more like Jesus. I so appreciate that. So that's you must do this with the help of the Spirit, but you're always looking to Jesus, which is 2 Corinthians 3.18. So you're beholding him and focused in on him, and God is at work changing you, but it's a cooperative work. So I hope that's not confusing. It's yes. You know, does God work or am I working here uh, and cooperating? Yes. So let's think through this the change process here. Uh, this is uh, out of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. I think you have this in your notes, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So now we come to a part of the application of redemption that's a progressive work that continues throughout our earthly lives. It is also a work in which God and man cooperate, each playing distinct roles. This part of the application of redemption is called sanctification, sanctification. It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. I think, uh, Pastor Steve, you mentioned you were teaching through this on the area of sanctification. So you have justification, um, this instantaneous legal standing, once for all time, it's entirely God's work, perfect in this life, It's the same in all Christians. No one's more justified than another as a Christian. uh, It's a, a once and for all legal declaration. And I mean, when you put your faith and trust in Christ and sanctification is different, it's internal, it's continuous throughout this life, we cooperate, it's not perfect in this life, and it's greater in some than in others, some are more spiritually mature than others. You don't ever want to confuse those two, but you don't ever want to separate those two. You don't want to confuse sanctification and justification, using verses for, for the wrong one, but you don't want to separate them. It's because of our justification and union in Christ that we commune and walk with them. So they're linked together. Uh, There's different stages, three stages. Uh, The first is often referred to as positional. We were sanctified. It's past tense in some verses. 1 Corinthians 6.11 You were sanctified, washed, justified, positional sanctification. The second is progressive and ongoing. He is sanctifying us. And you have several passages that refer to that one. And then you have perfect sanctification. Sometimes they call it glorification. It's you you are now perfect in the sight of Christ. The work that he began in you, he will perfect until the day of Christ. Some refer it to as perspective as well, different terms that are used. Uh, several observations, I'm not going to read these, uh, I have a lot to cover in our time, but I put them in there from uh, Dr. MacArthur and Dr. Mayhew's book on Bible Doctrine, uh, some really helpful points about sanctification, justification. There's some sample models uh, you have here, and uh, I' uh, listed three. Uh, two of them are wrong. one's right. You know the five views books have you you familiar with the five views books, uh, five views on this and five views on that and the other. Well, God didn't stutter. If there's five views, it's our problem. It's not the Holy Spirit's problem. There's just one correct view. So there is a book on uh, four views of sanctification, another five views of sanctification. I listed them in the footnote. Well, there's, not, there's maybe five views, but there's only one biblical view, the one the Spirit of God inspired. But the first one here is often referred to as Christian perfection or the Wesleyan view, not Charles, but John. And condensed, it's a second work of grace, they believe. God will do something after, quote, you're saved, and it catapults the believer into a state of sinlessness. I call that death of a believer. (laughs) But they believe, no, still living, and that now you live a life of entire sanctification. So sin is redefined as that which is only a willful transgression of the known law of God, and then anything we do not clearly intend to do or Or ignorant about is just merely a mistake. So lots of mistakes, no sin. Uh, One student who went to a Methodist uh, seminary not far from uh, where we were in uh, Louisville, um, she was in my class and she said, I had a professor who said he hadn't sinned in 21 years. (laughs) That just boggles my mind. I'm going, everyone around him knows better. But Oh, you know, so probably lots of mistakes every day, but uh, apparently no sin, and that's just not true. The Wesleyan view. You know, I've read some of John Wesley, and I just never picked that up, that he was ever promoting himself to be in a state of perfection, entire sanctification. So I asked a church history prof who taught there at the seminary, and I just said, uh, Can you help me out here? You've read a whole lot more on John Wesley than I ever have. Uh, did he really believe that he, didn't, he reached that level, didn't sin, uh, and only made mistakes? And he said, oh, absolutely not. John Wesley never believed he was there. He believed he was capable of being there. Someone was capable of being there, and some of, quote, the Moravians, he thought, lived there, uh, that he had met. I'm going, well, apparently he didn't live with them too long. <laughs> you don't have to live with people very long. To see, they're not entirely sanctified," he said. No, he just thought he thought he was using some verses that talk about positional sanctification and applied them to the progressive. And then he really was involved in just uh, rigorous disciplines uh, of the Christian life to try to, you know, get there prayerfully. So, but he believed it was possible to live up there. And you know, on Sundays sometimes, or gatherings of God's people, sometimes, you might think there are some people that live up there. You ask them how they're doing all the time, and they're always doing fine. Fine with a smile. I'm just doing really fine. Boy, I'm not. I guess I'm the only one. You, you, you start to wonder um, is it just me? I mean, I, there were some greeters that I once had in our fellowship group, and every Sunday morning, just, oh, Stuart, great to see you, and I mean, I, I like going in that door, uh, and they just were always warm and uh, gracious, and and then one time I got a phone call from them, they said, can we talk with you? I said, okay. Uh, they came in, and they weren't smiling, and he goes, go ahead and tell them. <laughs> I looked at her, and I said, tell me what? And she said, I want to take my life. I've tried a few times. I know how to do it, where I'm going to do it. But before I take my life, I want to kill him. (laughs) My greeters. I I really thought that the staff was playing a, 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 you know... (laughs) They, they had them, and they were just going to pull my leg, you know, kind of thing. And I'm kind of waiting for them to go, Ah, oh, gotcha, you know. No, that was the truth. And I'm not saying everybody who says they're fine on Sunday morning go, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> don't, don't go there. But there is no perfect human being. No one is on that straight line, perfect, entire sanctification. We're all growing and uh praise God, I mean, she was unsaved was her issue. That came out in counseling. I just started asking her testimony. It wasn't even like remotely orthodox and they are members of the church for 17 years and um so God graciously saved her and uh grew their marriage and uh, they're dear friends of ours. It's just uh you know, no one lives up there. They may look like it. May look like parenting they've got it all. I want your kids. you know how do you do with your kids? I want my kids like your kids. You go, no, there's no paint by numbers approach to parenting. Some people are looking for the return policy. <laughs> uh, now this is the uh, another view that you have there, and i'm I'm more familiar with this, as I mentioned, this Keswick view uh, th- This is a a belief that uh, a post-salvation commitment or enlightenment allows the believer to enter into, not a perfection, but a victorious Christian life of obedience. They may struggle, but very small struggles. And then spiritual growth just takes place after that, primarily by just letting go and letting God, a passive trust in the work of God. So thinking something happens after salvation. And I would say for a lot of people, they have the cross in the wrong place. If there was a major growth in their life and turning from self to follow Christ, that probably was conversion. So I think they have put the cross in the wrong place for a lot of individuals. They didn't rededicate it to their life. They got saved. They were living a whole life of immorality. And God doesn't, you know, you don't take a, a sabbatical on holiness for years and then go, oh, now I need to start thinking about Jesus. Well, that more than likely was conversion. Uh, but that, this Keswick view, so I would say it's the predominant view with most people. When they say, here's my problem, and you ask, what have you done about that? Well, I prayed. Well, what have you prayed? Lord, take it away. Take him away. Take her away. Take, <laughs> take the problem away. Well, that's let go and let God. Well, what else have you done about this issue or struggle or sin issue in your life? Well, nothing, or I've read a book on it. Well, you're expecting God to just obey for you. It's a very, very common view, this Keswick view. But the biblical view, often referred to in the various books, and the five views books, is called the Reformed view. It's the biblical view that the Reformers acknowledged in Scripture. And that's just this lifelong cycle. You, you sin, you confess, you repent. There's forgiveness, there's renewal, there's growth. It, it's just constantly moving upward. And I'm not going to read the confession of faith there. But I want to go to the middle of page four about uh, consider these points. Is it possible? Point one. Point one we may echo both the Wesleyan and Keswick views when we seem to be waiting for some divine event that will take away the strongest pulls of sin and eliminate the need for concentrated, spirit-dependent discipline and self-control. Are we sitting and waiting for God to do something that he's called us to do and help us with it, but we need to obey? Number two, is it possible we may echo the Wesleyan view specifically when we admit that we sin all the time but we very seldom confess it or ask for forgiveness you know that's um i have to watch my words sometimes when i'm if i'm sinning like if i was angry with my wife and she says are you angry no i'm just stressed out well that doesn't sound like sin we have there's 30 plus words we can say instead of, yes, I'm sinfully angry, I need to confess that before God and you. We just call it something else. I'm just hangry because I'm hungry and angry at the same time, or I'm miffed or ticked. or There's other words that don't sound like sin and doesn't sound like I need to confess it or repent of it. So I'm wondering at times if we have, quote, lots of mistakes that maybe aren't mistakes. We may be involved in that. Just food for thought. Number three, we may echo the Keswick view, specifically when we, quote, let go and maybe let God's word, or let go and let the gospel, or by thinking that the hearing alone of scriptural teaching or dwelling only on one's position alone without its practice will change us. We want to hear the Word of God. We want to read the Word of God. But if we don't practice it, if it's hearing only without the doing, James 1 says we become spiritually deceived. We really think we're really growing spiritually because our knowledge is growing, but our life isn't growing. It's very important that every time we hear the word preached or taught or we read it privately that we're studying it carefully and then the question is how do I implement this how how, is there something here for me to do or don't do or know more about God and that affects me this way it needs to be life changing not just heady so that's just a danger Uh, and we're in the circles of that I'm in it all the time down there uh, at the school I mean, we live, and I don't want to downplay the word at all or the importance of the word. But we have to be thinking, hearing and doing, hearing and doing. When I give assignments, homework assignments, there's assignments to know something and to do something. Not just read this, don't just memorize that verse, do something with that. Memorize it and do something with it, apply it somehow. If you read something, extract out and apply something. John, Dr. John Frame has a phrase. It's a very, he puts it in a lot of his different books. Uh, theology is application. Theology is application. Good reminder to us. So there's some different key elements. I'm just going to refer to these because I want to move to the, the second set here. These are just things I want to go over with people do they understand what sin is? Uh, a lot of the people you counsel may go, "Yeah, I, I understand what sin is. Lawlessness. It's breaking God's law." Uh, do you understand what guilt is? It's a fact, uh, legal culpability, and uh, not just a feeling, or you don't have a feeling, or you have one. It's a fact. Uh, do you understand what the conscience and the importance of the conscience as a warning light? It's our guard, not our guide. Um, the be- there's two really good books on conscience. Dr. MacArthur has one on the vanishing conscience. Uh, and Andrew Niscelli and J.D. Crowley have a little paperback book called The Conscience. Very helpful. It's where I got a lot of those conscience issues from. He's got a whole list of them. I added more. But whole list of them and it has it's a very helpful little book called The Conscience by Andrew Niselli and J.D. Crowley. So between Dr. MacArthur's and that one, very helpful on the conscience. Then you have repentance and faith. I'm on page seven, so you're just kind of following along with me. Uh, remember, our conscience is not our guide, it's a guard. Scripture is always our guide. Then you have repentance, which includes confession, and faith. So you're turning from, repenting from, and faith is repenting toward. Let me, uh, uh, I want to draw your attention. This is one passage I take some people to Actually quite a few people too. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 2 it, it's very helpful to see it here also in Revelation 2. So Revelation 2 Jeremiah 2. He's talking about the nation there. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet to the Jer- Jerusalem uh, to Judah uh, and namely the city. <clears throat> and the Lord is, is speaking there in chapter 2. I remember the devotion of your youth in verse 2, your love as a bride. And it was just great. You, you were following me. There, there was this, you were a bride. Uh, Israel was holy to the Lord, verse 3, the first fruits of his harvest. And then you come down to verse 12. And the Lord says, Be appalled, O heavens. At this, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Evil number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Evil number two, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Oh, Now, the cisterns, we know what's being referred to in this passage. Sometimes it's referring to idols. They're drinking from other cisterns, and it's idolatry. Here, it's other countries. They're going to other countries for help. You see it up in verse, uh, down in verse 18. Uh, and now, what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? There it is. Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you. Your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. So that was, that's the cisterns, broken cisterns. In counseling, discipleship, you have to be very careful you don't spend all your time on broken cisterns. Broken cisterns was not the main problem here. They wouldn't be at the broken cisterns if they were steadily drinking from the fountain of living waters. When, I, when you see support groups, and they're all about how to stop drinking alcohol, that's a cistern. You know, how many how many years and months and days has it been? I'm glad they're you know they're sober. But that's not repentance and faith. That's not a one eighty degree turn. That's a ninety degree turn. You're just trying to stop the sin. Uh, scripture is repent of the sin and turn and pursue Christ. Go back to the go to the fountain of living waters and drink from Christ. We know the fountain of living waters was Christ. First Corinthians ten says the rock that Israel drank from was Christ. He's referred to the water of life. So pursue Christ and make no for provision to go back right to the lust of the flesh. In Romans thirteen fourteen. So when I'm listening to someone and they're telling me I've tried this, I've tried to break that, tried to stop that, and stop that, and stop that, and stop that, well, how's that going for you? Ah, oh, it's really hard. I keep falling into sin. I keep committing it. Hmm. Another person told me, boy, oh, I stop overeating. I find myself overspending. <laughs> yeah, whack them all. Uh, there your lust goes, goes over here, and you try to whack that one, and lust pop, pops up there, and just one support group after another. Some people are in multiple support groups because they're mostly all broken cisterns. The solution is, yes, make no provision to go down to those cisterns, whatever they may be, but with all your effort, pursue Christ. Find in him the the disciplines of grace that take you to Christ. Be with God's people who are the people of Christ. It is all, pursue him, drink from the fountain, and you won't be committing evil, number two. so You follow that? In Revelation 2, it's very similar to the church at Ephesus. Remember where you've fallen, right? They had left their first love. Remember where you've fallen. Repent and return. Go back to your first love, who was Christ. So it's kind of a, if you want Old Testament, New Testament, But it's so helpful in counseling and discipling people. It's not about breaking habits. It's about replacing them, going back to the fountain of living water, which is Christ. So in repentance and faith, I'm listening for, are you turning from sin and confessing what God says about it? But are you really focused on pursuing Christ and what you're going to do in place of it? The same if, if you're harsh with a spouse or harsh with a friend. Okay, that's um, let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth. That was corrupting. It was unedifying. I want to put that off. Yes. Well, I'm just trying to stop. No. Repent. Go towards Christ. Put what on? Oh, I need to say things that build up and bring grace to the hearers. There you go. And I, I can't put the an inspired exclamation on this. It's just the tenor of the scriptures, especially the New Testament. It's almost like 80, 90% of your effort is going towards Christ. And oh, by the way, make no provision to go backward. But oftentimes in groups, it's all about the efforts all on stopping the sin rather than really pursuing Christ. Does that make sense? It, like the, the um, drink from the fountain and also don't make provision to go down to a cistern. And the emphasis will be very different. Um, so repentance and faith, and you have all of that listed there. On, on pages 9 and 10, uh, deals with forgiveness and covering. And there is a heart attitude that should always be willing to forgive. The scripture is very clear about that, having a spirit, an attitude of forgiveness towards people. Always willing. Why? Because God has forgiven so much in our own life. We've been forgiven so much, we're so willing to forgive people. And then there's a a transaction. If a person repents, forgive them. Matthew 18, about church discipline, if they listen to you and change... Forgive them. Then the matter's cleared up. The church discipline stops. A covering in the Bible, and I had to really look at this, Proverbs, especially Psalm 32, about covering. When David said, God, I tried to cover my sin, uh, he said, but when I confessed my sin, God forgave me and my sin was covered. Covering seems to be at the end of the process, not at the beginning. If it's a clear sin, you don't confront people with wisdom issues, you don't confront people with preference issues, you don't confront people with that stuff. It's when they clearly have sinned. Then you just go ask the question, did I hear right, did I see right? And if it's a Christian, they go, oh yeah. For my wife and I, that's about as far as it has to go. Just ask the question. You know, did 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 you call me that? Did you um, did you respond? I mean, did I hear right when you came in the door? Was just the question. Questions prick the conscience. I go, oh yeah, that boy, that was not edifying, was it? Oh, please forgive me. I I want to say things that build you up. Uh, I that that was not proper. Please forgive me. Rarely ever do we ever have to go further in that, which is, you know what the Bible says about that? Uh, Not when you're married to someone who's certified in counseling, (laughs) biblical counseling. One time I was uh, stuck and just fleshly, just wanting to wallow around in uh, an issue going back and forth with, with my wife about one of our children. And I just didn't want to hear it anymore. And I, I was I was the one it was the problem. And uh, she did. I mean, she left some time, prayed for me, and then said, You know, I've not seen you like this. You know what, you know what the Bible says here on this. I know what the Bible says about it. And she said, If you can't make the turn, I've not seen you like this, but if you can't make the turn, I'm gonna call some of our friends to come over and help us. And I said, Whatever and sure enough within about a half hour two people I trained a husband and wife come over to the house and and that's she's loving me right she's not letting me continue on in some pattern you know some people go well confront me if it becomes a habit don't wait for it to become a habit i don't want a habit uh, so that was a once that's happened and people go, oh, boy, if you had to bring up sin with somebody, you'd be doing it all day long. I don't know who you're married to or who you live with. That shouldn't be happening all day long. I think that's a cop-out of people not loving you well. Uh, and, again, it's, it, you ask questions. You pray. You ask questions. You first look at your own self, right, self-confrontation. You first look at yourself. Then you, uh, you pray for the other person. You go and say, "Did I do something here? Did I hear right? Did I see right?" And the conscience is awakened, and usually the issue is remedied. They confess wrongdoing and ask for forgiveness. Great. All right, there we go. It might be that you have to bring a, a scripture to bear on the issue. It might be if they're not listening well and really stuck. I'm bring some friends over. Get one or two. You try to let's help this individual because it's a little more serious than. Than just a, a slight issue now. This person's kind of stuck. Uh, what else is going on that they get stuck like that? So, covering, uh, when I look at the scripture, it's, it's much more at the end of the process, it hides it. It's the word for atonement. Um, when confession was made in the Old Testament, sins were atoned for based on the life, death of Christ, um, and then, then their sins were covered, they were hid. So that's, uh, I'm not going to get more into those. And then you get into replacement. And that's where I'd like to, this is putting off and putting on. I already talked a little bit about that uh, from Jeremiah 2 and from Revelation. It's replacement, not breaking habits, replacing. So whoever you're helping, it's replacing, not breaking habits. I listed several good resources there on sanctification. Let's go to the next Um, on renewing our minds. Thank you, James, for your help back there. I hope that you all thank everybody. Uh, There's been so many people helping. I know uh, Caleb and his wife, there's just many people helping, setting up, getting things copied, and um, I know you'll thank them. All right. We're talking about renewing our minds now. Uh, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, it's talking about who we once were. We could almost have lived in Ephesians today. You know, so many uh, helpful passages here. But Ephesians talks about who we used to be, who we are now. Verse 22, we're put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, and be put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's sort of positional. We used to be old man, we put off now we're renewing in the spirit of our minds. We're put on the new self. And now that's fleshed out in the verses that follow. So put off deceit, speak truth, be honest, and all of the different things we looked at earlier and and living out the rest of the passages there. So renewing the mind. Romans 12, don't be conformed or stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We're told in 2 Corinthians 10, the battle's not against flesh and blood, but we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's every philosophy, every ideology, everything that's passing through, but take it captive to the obedience of Christ. We're told to Philippians 4, 8, dwell on things that are true, real, honest, right, pure, lovely, Good report and virtuous. Dwell on those kinds of things. 1 Peter 1, gird up your mind for action. There's so much on our mind of renewing our minds. So I mentioned there on page 1 of your notes, many divide head and heart. Don't. Don't divide head and heart. Uh, Your heart and I... I think I put it there, um, two different books. Uh, Craig Troxell's book is excellent, Uh, With All Your Heart, which he deals with the cognition, affection, and desires. And then Jeremy Pierre uh, has a book as well on uh, the heart. But Kyle and Delich, in their commentary on Proverbs 4, that's where they write, the heart is the intellectual soul center of man. Kyle and Delich in their commentary on Proverbs. The heart is the intellectual, it's more between your ears than in your chest. The heart, more between your ears than in your chest. And there are so many verses, uh, Old Testament and New Testament that talk about uh, thinking in your heart, uh, willing to do things from your heart, desires from your heart. Even in Genesis, said the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart. Thoughts of his heart. was only evil continually. Meditate in your heart in the Psalms. Psalm 27, when you said to me, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Oh, my face, O Lord, I will seek. So it's the heart, it's the inner you, it's the real you. So don't divide my heart, my head. It's it's all very synonymous depending on which passage you're looking at. Um, Jesus often would say he knew what was in man's heart and the Gospels. So, I won't go more into those. I think you uh, know those passages very well. But let me go to uh, faulty views here. Um, Let me. uh, Faulty views. Is that, yeah, faulty practices. On the top of page two. This is um, when people are struggling with their anxious thoughts, obsessive thoughts, you know, those kind of things. They, I, I just can't get rid of them. They keep me up at night. I, um, sometimes they're terrifying thoughts. Uh, what do they do with them? What do they try to do with them? Some people, they just go somewhere else. They, they go into, like, fantasy world, uh, escape into a fantasy realm. Well, Philippians 4.8 says, dwell on things that are true and real. You dare not go into fantasizing, daydreaming. Usually you play God in your daydreams and uh, paint a, a picture that everything you, you lust for uh, happening. We're not to fantasize and daydream. We're not to relocate our thoughts to something totally different. So you go. I'm struggling with uh, overeating. I'm just going to think about going to Cabela's, and I need everything in that store. Uh, I'm going to relocating your thoughts. That's not renewing your mind. It's not renewing your thoughts. You're just relocating. So I'm going to think about something different. I'm going to think about shopping. I'm going to think about (coughs) excuse me. You're not fantasizing and daydreaming. You're just thinking, I'm going to think about later this afternoon doing this. You relocate, but you don't renew. Some people seek to suppress their thoughts. "I I want to stop thinking about this, and they want to stop thinking about it. And you've heard all the different illustrations of that, of the more you try to stop thinking about something, the more you think about it. So, suppressing their thoughts. Some people designate times to actually sin in their thoughts. Now, this seems rather strange. This was a, um, uh, you can find this, it is a, um, from a book entitled uh, Worry Free Living, uh, written by uh, Frank Minnerth and Paul Meyer. And uh, what they write in the book is uh, they designate specific times every day, so you're not worrying all day, uh, 15 minutes in the morning and another 15 minutes in the evening for active worry. So if you're worrying all day, you just have 15 minutes in the morning and another 15 minutes in the evening for active worry. It's on page 115 of their book. And they say if other thoughts come up, uh, anxious thoughts come up, just jot them down on a piece of paper and then vow to deal with them during the designated times. That is strange counsel. It's unbiblical counsel. Be anxious for nothing. That'd be like me saying, you know, I steal all the time, but I don't do that anymore, just two heist times. I steal actively from 6:45 to 7 in the morning and 6:45 at, at night to 7. Everything else I want during the day, I write it down and <laughs> I go after. It. It's this bizarre, and you know what? That is often the counsel you'll find in Christian counseling because they're trained in secular models and secular methods. They're not always thinking biblically. That comes right out of behavior modification. And then they titled the book Worry-Free. you know worry-free. You're still actively worrying at least half hour a day. But it's unbiblical. It doesn't start in the scriptures and come out uh, like we want, uh, like God calls us to. You know, it's the scriptures. We want to live out what God has told us, not import in practices uh, from secular methods like that. We don't integrate uh, psychological theories uh, if you have God's word and it's perfect you don't add to scripture if you, take, if you add to scripture you take away from scripture and if you add some secular method like the neograms and the EMDRs and all of those and you add it to scripture and I've seen this uh, over and over again what's most important to you is the EMDR or the neograms it's not scripture You don't add secular models and methods to what God has has taught us. It's authoritative and it's totally sufficient for what it claims to be sufficient for, for life and godliness. And um, so renewing the mind, how do we renew our minds? The answer is one thought at a time. One thought at a time what kinds of thoughts am I thinking about? So what would homework be for someone who says, boy, I'm just struggling with my thought life and, you know, my anxious or fearful or depressed or sexual, whatever thoughts are, uh, I don't know what to do with all my thoughts. Okay, let's journal them. So there's a homework assignment. Jot down what the thoughts are. You go, well, there'd be so many of them. Nah, there's not. Not as many as you think. They just keep hovering around. Maybe 20, thirty of them. But what are the thoughts? Journal them down, then we can see what they are. Uh, you go, well, I don't I'm not comfortable writing down some of my thoughts. Well then initial them or whatever you want to abbreviate them. but let's see what they are because we're gonna, we're going to work at them one thought at a time. We're going to renew your mind one thought at a time. So let's go to uh, Philippians chapter four. We're talking about anxiety. Don't be anxious. And for years and years and years, if anyone's worrying, people will say, you need to read and memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Right? I would say probably a lot of you have memorized those two verses. Well, that's good. But it's only part of the whole. You go, man, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm still worrying. Well, it wasn't meant to just be praying. Matter of fact, verse 6 starts right in the middle of a sentence. Do you know why you're not supposed to be anxious? Because the Lord's near. I mean, look at the end of verse 5. The Lord's near. Now, that could be his presence, right? The omnipresence of the Lord. The Lord's near. The Lord's here. I'm not alone. Where can I go from his presence? It might be referring to the soon coming of Christ, too. It could, it could go either way. I've seen commentators uh, stress one or the other. i tell you, if, I'm, if it's late at night, and if there's crime going on in our area, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm hearing the door, like someone's trying to get in our door, that could be a little concerning. I could get a little anxious there. But if I look over and there's a few off-duty officers from the small group sitting there, I'm okay. They've got this. That That's kind of what's going on. The Lord's right here. Don't be anxious. But if you just start with verse 6, you're missing Some of the big motivation here of not being anxious. Do you follow that? There's a uh, a section here. It stops with helping these two ladies work through their problem to agree and be in harmony. Verses one and I mean two and three, and verse four: Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, could be translated gentleness, but let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Do you know what a phobia is? You're, You're irrational. You're not reasonable. Phobias are you're irrational and then you avoid it. So be reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard a Roman colony. Philippi was a Roman colony. Walk guard duty. God's peace will walk guard duty around your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, your whole inner man. And furthermore, furthermore, for finally, brothers, whatever's true. Whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, keep thinking about these things. It's a present active, it's keep thinking about these things. So there's your mind. It has to be thinking biblically. And we're not done yet, verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, keep practicing these things and the God of peace. The peace is running through this. Peace will guard your heart and mind. The, peace will be, the God of peace will be with you. There's like the whole section here. And so what we have here is sort of a biblical approach of dealing with renewing your mind, and you can do it one thought at a time. So instead of what in the world were you thinking, how about what in the word are you thinking? Let's help people be not conformed, but be renewed, the spirit of their mind. So we first would ask, and you have a worksheet. So you have um, on page two, you know, your, the awareness of God, right praying, right dwelling, and right practice. Verse, uh, page three is a tool, a tool to help people take one thought, and let's work it through Let's renew that thought. Sort of what we did with Kurt. Let's just work through a particular thought. You just got paid. You're being tempted to go away on a weekend, binge. Uh, let's just take that. I just got paid. Man, I want out of this pressure. I just want you know comfort, pleasure, uh, satisfaction. Uh, let's take that. Let's renew it. Let's go through the scriptures and renew it. So you can see the worksheet. What's going on in someone's life? That's just circumstances. Now, what am I wanting or thinking here? It may be a belief, but just what what's going on that I'm, I'm struggling with particularly? Try to pick one. And now let's start with a response and awareness of God. That's Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Let's bring God into this. Be aware of our salvation. Rejoice. That's usually... Um, what you're rejoicing about in that book of Philippians and our salvation. Be aware of him. He's near. Now, verse 6 and 7, what can I pray for and be thankful for in light of this thought? Verse 8, what scriptures, if I'm going to be dwelling on what's true, honest, right, pure, lovely, good report, what scriptures will help me with this thought? I'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. Uh, but I need to compose a new, a new way of thinking biblically about the thought or the topics that are troubling me or anxious or fearful of. I'm not relocating. I'm taking the very thing uh, that I'm struggling with and I'm going to think biblically about it. That's renewing your mind one thought at a time. So if a man says, well, I'm lusting after a particular woman, I'm going to think about shopping. No, no, no. You need to think biblically about that woman in a way that honors God. She's not an object. Created in God's image, you can pray for her. If she doesn't know Christ, pray that she comes to know Christ. If she's married, pray that she'll be a, a wonderful wife to her husband. If she's a, you know, Think biblically about the issue rather than trying to escape everywhere and never deal with your mind. Renew your mind, biblically, and what you're wanting, what you're thinking, and your choices. And then lastly, verse 9, now you need to practice it. Not just know what's right, you need to do what's right. Practice these things. So now it gets into being a doer of the Word that they've just studied on that topic. So I want you to turn the page and see uh, an example. So, uh, this uh, particular um, leader's wife uh, was the uh, it was a cookout, and we're all sitting around uh, the, all the pastors, elders. Um, It was halfway around the world. We're all having a a dinner before the conference the next day. And everyone's discussing things and talking with people as they're eating. And then the different conversations start dying and stopping because one particular uh, elder's wife, they all had one, um, (laughs) laughter She's she's getting um, pretty dogmatic about a, a situation, and the other ladies' wives are trying to help her change her mind on something. So it it becomes everyone stops and we're focused in on what's going on here. And so here's the here's the situation. So you have that at the top of your page. What's happening here? Well, what's happening is. Her son was graduating halfway around the world, and she has an extreme fear of flying. So she's talking about, I'm not going to the graduation. I'm not not going because I don't fly. I'm not going to get on a plane and fly. And that's kind of the situation, and I gained a little bit more. Three sons, this is the youngest from a pretty prestigious University in London, uh, going to graduate, and her mom's not coming to the graduation because she's afraid to get on a plane. Now, she didn't say, can you help me with my anxiety? Because it was an awkward situation. It was pretty much taking over the the dinner time. And she says, there's no way I'm going to go on that plane. I'm not getting on a plane. And then she said this numerous times. The door would open up if I were on the plane. The door would open up and I'd get sucked out. She said it over and over again. There's no way uh, I'm going to get on that. Uh, I'm not going to get sucked out of a plane. And uh, the others were saying, do you know how rare that is? That was before planes went missing. But do you know how rare that is? Uh, Even... With the compression and side and all the things, you know how rare that is that a door opens up and anyone ever gets sucked out. It didn't matter, so it's irrational. She's just has, has this fear, <clears throat> so you can see that there. What she's wanting, she wants to be safe. Uh, she thinks staying at sea level, don't get on a plane. I want safety. I want comfort. So you can see what she's wanting here. She doesn't want to go. I mean, she'd like to be at her son's graduation, but not at the expense of her feeling uncomfortable about getting on a plane. Now, the pastor of that particular church uh, said, "Hey, Stuart, what do you think about her fear? A very awkward." because when i travel do you know where i like to sit on the exit row next to the door <laughs> cuz i i can lean over on it it's awkward anyway but you have more leg room if you're a little tall so my my request when flying is her absolute nightmare how you how you think about things right i uh I don't like snakes. But there are people on TV who love. I mean, they get really excited about going down in Australia looking for the most deadly poisonous snakes. And when they see one, they get all excited and run to catch it (laughs) and pick it up. And if it bites you, you only have maybe a few minutes, and then you die how you think about something it's really amazing we want to renew our minds with scripture so I didn't share what my desire is when I fly she wasn't asking for help which was it was really awkward and I'll try to come back and tell you what I I said um, if I'd have thought more about it, I would have said well pastor what do you think about that <laughs> I, I just wasn't that quick But let's say she said, I I want help with this. I I really want help. I have lots of anxiety, lots of fear. I would have her journal. More than likely, I would have a godly woman helping her and working through counseling. I usually work with men and couples, but I would have a godly woman helping her. Um, But journal what your anxious thoughts are and fears. This one would be one of them. Well, let's take this one. This is what we would do with it. So what I put here is what I would do with that thought in helping her. So you have uh, listed there, you know, an awareness of God. God usually isn't in the thoughts of people who are worrying and fearful or depressed. So there has to be an awareness of God, a doxology, aware of him. Uh, She can start saying, you know what, I am a child of the Lord I rejoice in you, knowing that you're near me right now. You promise to never leave or forsake me. The Spirit of God indwells her. You can see uh, all that's going on in the situation. He's very aware of her, her situation. You're my Father. She could say, and you're able to do in and through the situation more than I can think or imagine. As I submit to walk in your ways, Ephesians three twenty. So, bring God into her, her thinking, her situation now. What can she pray? I'll lead her right into verses 6 and 7. Well, part of her prayer is confession. I mean, part of supplication is, is confession. Forgive me for, for sinning in my anxiety my worry, uh, my fear, it's paralyzing me. Uh, forgive me. But in her prayer, she can also thank the Lord with thanksgiving. She can thank the Lord uh, she can also lift her petitions. What would she like? Lift your request to the Lord. What would she? I like to go see my son graduate. It's not Star Trek. Can't beam me up, you know, and, and down. This is uh, it's going to take some work. But her prayer could be, Lord, please forgive me of my selfish fear and unbelief for presuming the worst in this situation. Please help me to not be paralyzed with fear and have a willingness to go and see my son graduate. I thank you, Lord, that you care for me and are good and in control. I want to worship you in faith and not have my desires become idolatrous lusts. She's dealing with her heart, uh, her mind, her thoughts, her affections. So that's her prayer. Thanksgiving, confession, request, petitions there. Now, what scriptures? She's going to start thinking, dwelling on what's true, right, honest, pure, lovely, good report. What scriptures can she start thinking about? Because there's nothing in the Bible about flying on a plane to go see a son graduate from a university. Although Paul prayed four times for open doors. But I wouldn't bring that up. This is why so many individuals think God's um, word—it's not useful. They're thinking, "Where's anorexia? Where's bulimia? Where's you know flying on planes?" And um, I know someone said, "Well, no." The Lord said, "Lo, I'm with you always." Not uh, that's bad, bad stuff. (laughs) But they think because it's not the exact word that the Bible doesn't—it's not relevant. The, The Bible is inherently relevant. And it deals with topics. It deals with topics. So you have topics of fear and trust. If you want this, I can uh, make that available. I mean, just uh, a PDF or something. Topics. Is anxiety in that thought? Absolutely. Is fear in that thought? Absolutely. Is God in that thought? No, but he should be. So you have fear and trust. Uh, You have I can't. I can't love people, right? Uh, no, I can. I can love them sacrificially. Love my neighbor. I mean, he, her son. That, that is a huge issue to be graduating from a prestigious university, and mom's not coming. There are some other thoughts, uh, topics that the Scripture addresses, like death. I mean, that does happen if you get sucked out at 30,000 feet. You're already halfway to heaven, but you get sucked out. It's death. (laughs) But you know, she's not thinking biblically about death of a believer. To be absent in the body is to be in the presence of Christ. It was like the end. Uh, Self-focus. Anxiety and fear is very self-focused. It's what's going to happen to me. Fear is very much turned in on self. Fearful of what might happen to me. Not to anybody else. Not thinking and loving sacrificially. It's about preserving self. Uh, control. She'd like to control everything, and she's not con- being able to control a plane. She's not thinking right about God's goodness. She thinks the worst is going to happen, rather than God's good. I, he might, something might happen, but God's always good. Why are you... Thinking the most negative um, when we have such a good and caring father. Then you have a protection, refuge, and safety. She's going, she's finding a refuge somewhere else rather than in the Lord. He's my strength, he's my rock, uh, my refuge. And then flying, just factual information. She's not even being reasonable. Uh, The amount of planes, the rarity of something, but. To her, it's all of the time uh, would happen. So she's not, they were trying to think, help her be reasonable, and she was uh, into that irrational state of mind. So all those topics and passages that the Bible talks to it lead you to this kind of renewed thought. So it's there in your notes. This is taking all those passages On that topic of flying to see her son graduate, here we go. God, because you are sovereign over all, including my life, health, safety, and longevity, God has our days numbered, and I am in Christ as a new creation and a child of yours, I will love and trust you by flying over with my husband to love my son and see him graduate. What is an older woman in Titus 2 supposed to do with the younger women? Teach them to do what? Love their husbands and love their children. She's loving herself. Uh, and so she's saying, no, I, I want to I love my son. And I will find comfort and a refuge in who you are, Psalm 46 and in your promises concerning your presence, Psalm 139, your care, your grace in time of need, Hebrews chapter 4, the hope of heaven, your protection, and your wisdom. Now, there's trouble in that thought. What if the door opens up and I get sucked out? Okay, let's bring trouble in. If the, if it happens, if there's any kind of trouble. If you should ordain any trouble, because it's under God's plan, right? He's, he's over it. He ordains it. Everything happens according to his plan and counsel, Ephesians 1.11. So if if you ordain any trouble or even my death, I will be sustained by your grace and even transported into your presence. That's how to think about it. That's a renewed or redeemed way to think about that thought. You don't just go renew your mind. Uh, sit under the spigot of God's word. You've got to take your thoughts and renew them with scripture, prayerfully done for God's glory, but one at a time. Now, she's not done yet. It's not just right praying and right thinking. It's right living. She's got to practice it. So look at the bottom. What can she do? (laughs) Buy a ticket. (laughs) Round trip. (laughs) Not one way. Pray with others. She could have other women praying with her. Make a flashcard: The new thought on one side, the old thought on the other. She could ask the church to pray. I'm going over to see. What? She's going to go over? She's going to fly over? You say, well, why don't she take a boat? Well, then you have the Titanic. (laughs) But ask the church to pray. And tell her son that she's coming. Now, that'll be a discussion. The son will just be what? Mom, you don't you don't you know what? what an opportunity to to share what Christ has done for her in helping her, and ask for forgiveness for being so irrational, self-focused, probably growing up years. I don't think that's the only fearful thought she has. So tell her son she's coming to his graduation. And if she goes and doesn't need to get right back on the plane and come home, plan a vacation when you go over there. Let let your son show you around London. Look at the British Isles. I mean it it doesn't have to be get off the plane, see graduation, get right back on a plane if you don't have to and look for something that it'll be enjoyable to be with your son, your husband uh to enjoy the uh, the city there and maybe the British Isles. Now, someone like this who probably has several fearful thoughts and anxious thoughts, journalism, this is one of them. So, you work with someone through this with one thought. Then I assign them to take another thought and wor- another worksheet. You work on this this week. If you get stuck, call me. I don't, don't wait till next week to go, well, I, I couldn't figure it. No. Work on one. And then we tweak it the next time we meet if anything needs to change. Then you take two the next week. And do you know what will be happening to someone like this? Give this person two to three months of working on these thoughts, thinking biblically now, not listening to herself but talking to herself with truth. Do you know what will happen? She's not going to be a anxious person. She's going to be a more trusting person, trusting God kind of person. She's going to be a more loving person, a more obedient person. She's going to be a Titus two kind of woman. And people will be asking her. I mean, she could even say, you know what? Uh, after I get back from the trip, um, we're going to have a tea and I'm going to tell you all the things I learned about trusting God and dealing with uh, renewing my mind on anxious thoughts. You think anyone would show up? Well, I bet you that church would be packed. This is not just anxious thoughts. This could be depressing thoughts. It could be sinful sexual thoughts. It could be whatever thought needs to be renewed. It's very practical It's biblically based, but it's renewing our minds. You renew your minds one thought at a time. Just in closing, um, and it'll be a short little break, and then I guess a QA and a time. I came across this guy. I was looking, um, just checking out some different uh, things on the Internet, and this popped up, this, this guy from Texas, Odell, he um, He's retired. Uh, he said that he spends uh, a lot of his time going around to garage sales, estate sales. And he says, I don't need anything, but I just like going, and sometimes I'll find something, I'll turn it around, flip it, you know, uh, sell it. So he's looking at this one estate sale, and he comes across this dresser, and he's pretty impressed with it. He... Um, it's an old. It's hundred years old, with a marble top, three drawers, and on the side there was a sign that said three hundred dollars scratched out a hundred dollars. He goes, I could, uh, I could restain that and probably make some money on it. So he checks out the drawers. They're all empty. So he gets a friend to help him to put it in his truck. And when he, they turn it sideways, he hears stuff, like something rolling, rumbling around in there. And he goes, I checked the drawers. There's nothing in them. So he's mystified by it. So he gets it, sets it back down, and there's one drawer, two drawer, three drawers, and then there's this down here. It's a hidden drawer on the bottom. So he lifts it up, and there's a little latch. So he flips the lo- latch, and inside is over $20,000 worth of coins, diamonds, jewels, banknotes, metals. I mean, that is a treasure. And I'm going. Wow, did he make out good on that one, that purchase. He gave it all back to the estate people. He said, I bought the dresser, not that. He said, that belongs to the the family uh, of the estate. He said, I mean, they are medals and banknotes and jewelry and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if that guy's a Christian or not, but that was pretty neat to see some integrity there with him. But I, I... I thought how how often we think like the Bible is empty sort of what I thought when I was pastoring and referring people out like the answers are out there somewhere oh no 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 the answers are in here this is a treasure of change for salvation sanctification I mean thy word I found and I did eat them the prophet said it is to be desired more than fine gold in Psalm 19. This is a treasure. And you all know that. But we need to be uh, reading more, meditating on it, seeking ways. How can I apply this and administering it to others? And I'm thankful you're doing that. And I, my closing word would be excel still more, right? Excel still more. And God's blessing upon you. Uh, as you seek to lift up Christ in that way.